Hi, everybody. My name is Grant Fishbook. I'm the lead teaching pastor at Christ the King Bellingham. And I just want to thank you for accessing our latest message online. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to say that one of the things we value the most at Christ the King is biblical community. And so if you're watching this uh, in our area, we'd love to invite you to come and join us on any weekend at one of our five campuses. If you're watching somewhere around the world or somewhere else in the country, we just want to encourage you to make sure that this is not a substitute for your attendance or your connection at a local church. And we really want you to find a family where you can grow, where you can give and where you can receive as well. This is the first message in a new series that we are calling Taboo 2. It's actually a sequel to a series we did earlier last year where we dealt with some of the most difficult topics that normally aren't talked about in church. And so in just a moment, we're going to head inside to our worship center and I welcome you to this brand new series called Taboo 2. So I have a prayer journal that I keep meticulous notes in. Why I track certain things, I have no idea, but I started keeping track five and a half years ago. And for 286 consecutive weeks, 286 consecutive weeks at some level, as a pastor, I've had to deal with the issue of addiction. That's where someone comes forward and in a moment of unbelievable courage admits to me that something has progressed from an interest to an instance, from an instance to a recurrence, from a recurrence to a habit, from a habit to a fixation, from a fixation to an obsession. And then and only then does the word addiction actually show up in the conversation. Addiction is not uncommon. In fact, it is pervasive in our society. Where addiction becomes taboo is when you have to actually take a mirror, look in the mirror, and, and decide that that maybe you have a problem too that God wants to deal with. Scripture calls us into a tough conversation with a declaration of truth in 2 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Let me say that again. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So whatever it is has already started to tap you on the shoulder in your brain and I want you to think along with me, when it owns you, when it dictates your schedule, when it changes your priorities, when it, whatever it is, calls for your constant attention, when it is always waiting for you in the cracks and breaks of your life, when it's just one thought away, when it refuses to go away, when it compulsively draws you back in in spite of your best effort to try and beat it, when it shackles itself to you, that's a problem. Here's the question this morning. What's your it? Just yours. Don't worry about anybody else in the room. Just look at your own life and your own soul. What's your it? According to a recent study, one out of four Americans are dealing with an active addiction. One out of four. In 2008, it was one out of eight. 
So let's cut that. Those are unbelievably difficult numbers for us to wrap our head around. I'm going to give you the 10 most common addictions in the United States of America in no particular order. Let's just blow through these together. The first one is alcohol. It's likely that every single person in this room knows somebody or is somebody who's had their life devastated by an addiction to alcohol. It is rampant in our culture. It's pervasive. It's around every corner. Number two, tobacco. Cigarettes, e-cigs, chewing tobacco, cigars. Those are actually responsible for 9% of deaths worldwide. Think about that number, 9%. Number three, drugs, both illegal and prescription. Oxycodone, Vicodin have become the common choice, uh, drug of choice among young people. The opioid epidemic is pervasive. I mean, you find it on the front page of every major newspaper as deaths have skyrocketed. Here, Seattle, Vancouver, it's absolutely everywhere. And here comes the squirm. I wanted to make sure that everybody had an opportunity to get involved this one. So I'm not even going to talk about that little C word, drug of choice in the Pacific Northwest. Caffeine. (laughs) And really quickly, we do what Christians do, right? No, 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 Grant, that's an ethical addiction. We're fine with that. It's not that big of a deal. My question is, do you have mastery over it or does it have mastery over? over you. Number four, gambling, lottery tickets, football pools, raffles, pull tabs, bingo casinos, all on the rise because of an increasing accessibility and an increasing acceptability. Here's where we're going to start squirming. Number five, food. If you can't control what or how much you eat, if you're obsessed over your weight or exercise, if you binge and then get rid of the binge through vomiting, exercise, or laxatives, if you eat differently in public than you do in private, if you eat to escape negative feelings, if you feel hopeless about your relationship with food, it's a problem. Number six, video games, and it's not just a teenager problem. 44% of gamers are 18 to 49. When you spend hours a day connecting with an online community as opposed to real people, that's a problem. When you use sick or vacation days to play and neglect friends and family, there's a problem on your hands and you may have discovered your it. Number seven for everyone, technology. When you're checking your Facebook first thing in the morning, checking in an hour later, checking it at lunch, checking it at your break, as soon as you get off work before bed because you have to check, that's a problem. Technology addiction rehab is the fastest growing rehab sector in the United States of America. Here comes the big squirm for those at the 930 service. Medically speaking, according to medical professionals, if you have already checked your phone 10 times since you woke up, you have an active tech addiction going on in your life. If you've experienced phantom vibration or phantom phone response, where you just assume that someone is reaching out to you, you're officially addicted. I'm going to remind you again. The fastest growing rehab sector in the United States revolves around technology. Social media, tech media are cleverly designed to get you addicted because this is how it works in your brain. How many likes do I have? How many people have unfriended me? What's my status? Why didn't they respond to my text? I've got a read receipt that says they read it four minutes ago. Was that a sign? Did I do something wrong? What's happening with my relationship? Where are they? I'm going to check my friend locator app. They're out for coffee with that person. Why didn't I get invited? What is happening with me? You're hooked. I know this to be true. My life is compulsively attached to little red 
little red circles with numbers in them, and green bubbles and blue bubbles. So much for this being everybody else's problem. And I know what you're doing right now. If you're a good Christian person, you're minimizing and saying, I can stop whenever I want to. Really? Prove it. Just saying. Number eight, the addiction of sex. This could be addiction to the act itself, or it could be an addiction to pornography. Statistics tell us 40 million Americans, 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. 30% of them are women, 70% of them are men. The average child in America sees pornography for the first time at age 11. 25% of all search engine requests include the word porn or sex. And here's where the stats get tragic. Pornography increases marital infidelity by 300%. 300%. 56% of divorce cases last year involved one of the parties having a pornography addiction, and that was attributed as the means for why they were pursuing the divorce. Let's keep going. Number nine, shopping. Uh-oh. Now, we all overspend from time to time, but this is referring to compulsive shoppers, people who get in financial, serious financial trouble and put relationships at risk in order to feed their addiction. And then rounding out the list of the top 10 is probably the one that's the most misunderstood and also one of the most deadly because we actually applaud it in our society. It's an addiction to work. We see overwork as a positive characteristic, but the reality is it destroys physical, emotional, and spiritual health. That's the list of only the top 10 addictions, and it is certainly not comprehensive. I'm sure you could have added so many more. How are you doing so far, 930? Take a deep breath and keep your eye on your own soul. If you're still not convinced, here's some warning signs that may help you out. Warning sign number one, if you're, under, if you're unable to control how much you use it. So when the control has moved from your will to the management of the addiction, you're no longer the, man, uh, the master in the situation. You're, it has actually mastered you. So do a gut check right now. If you've made at least one unsuccessful attempt to try it, rein it in, and you were unsuccessful, that's a problem. Warning sign number two, even though it might cause you or others harm, you continue to do it. Speaking from firsthand experience, if you know my story, which I have probably shared too many times here at Christ the King, here's what I can tell you in having a front row seat to this type of difficult spiritual work. Addictions leave you empty, hollow, and eventually alone. Addiction and isolation go hand in hand. And when your addiction becomes your only constant friend... That's a problem. Number three, when it causes you to begin making social or recreational sacrifices. So when you find yourself choosing that addiction over family and friends, you've given up another layer of control, and that's a problem. When you have a compulsive need to be more connected with your addiction than with the people around you, that's a problem. Pastor Rich last year from our Ferndale campus as part of our Taboo series, did a message very much like this one on addiction. And he actually spoke very courageously about his own addiction to online gambling. And, 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 and he talked about how God had given him victory in that area. But he told this amazing story of how when they were building their home, his kids kept coming to him and saying, Dad, we need you to hook up the Wi-Fi. Dad, we need you to hook up the Wi-Fi. And he said, I can't figure out why do my kids need to be hooked up to the Wi-Fi. They've all got data packages on their phone. So he asked them, because that's what good parents do. 
And this was their response. Some of our friends who don't have data won't come over until we get the Wi-Fi hooked up because they can't check their Instagram or their Snapchat. Think about that. They would rather go without their friends than go without their habit. And it's not just kids. Here's another warning sign. You always make sure you've got a good supply of it. Whatever it is. So let me just move from preaching to meddling. If you've got chocolate stashed in your closet, wine in your toilet tank, weed in your mom's flower pot, or a VIP Gold Star Reserve parking spot at Macy's, you got a problem. Another warning sign, if you do it in secret in order to hide how much it controls you, that's a problem. Addictions thrive in the dark places of our soul. That's why Jesus keeps begging us to drag it out into the light. Because if we walk in the light, everything changes. So when you're doing it, when no one else is around, that's an admission to yourself that it's not good. I had a friend this week, we had this conversation about an addiction that's just crippling his life. And, and he was arguing with me about what it was really a problem. And it basically came to me asking this question. I said, if you aren't ashamed of it, why are you doing it alone? Another warning sign, when you try to quit, you experience withdrawal symptoms. Okay, coffee drinkers, of which I am one, if you push it away and you experience headaches, anger, cravings, depression, insomnia, anxiety, or frustration, that's a problem. Let's just be real. Another warning sign, you find yourself obsessing over it. So if you're thinking about it, even when you're not doing it, that's a problem. Something has mastery over you. And here's the kicker. When you have many or most of these warning signs and yet deny you have a problem, that's a problem. It's called denial. So if your response is, boy, I'm really, really glad Grant's talking about this stuff because there are so many people in this room who need to hear this thing. If your response is, it's not that big of a deal, I can stop anytime I want to, I've already got it beat, I'm fine. If that's your response, do you have the courage to pick up a mirror and simply ask, does anything have mastery over me? How are we doing so far? Still with me? Okay. A few things you need to know about addiction, it comes in all shapes and sizes, I've personally experienced this. Addiction's an equal opportunity devastator. It'll take out someone that's homeless, and it'll take out someone that's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It'll take out white collar and blue collar. It'll take out wealthy and struggling. It'll take out teenagers and parents. It'll take out parishioners, and it will take out pastors. Anyone can share in this struggle. And if you've walked here, you understand what I'm talking about when I tell you that addiction is a thief. It steals your time and your family and your income and your mind and your margin and your soul. And Jesus knows that. That's why the Bible actually acknowledges addiction is a real problem. I mean, in one of the job descriptions for church leadership, the Bible addresses addiction. So to those of us that actually dare to try and lead churches... The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 3, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. There's the actual word. It's right there in black and white. 
We're to be mastered by Jesus and Jesus alone. If you are a follower of Jesus, nothing else can lay claim to that, that, that altar that we worship at. Paul gets even more blunt. He talks to the church in Philippi. And he's speaking to church people. And this is what he says to them. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, little g. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul is saying this to followers of Jesus. If your mind is connected with anything else and absolutely demands devotion and anything else other than Jesus, it's a problem because you've got a small G God active in your life and you can't serve big G God and little G God at the same time. It's not possible. You know, this is the prevailing issue. Addiction causes my life to be centered on something other than God. And it's been around since humanity began. The prophet Ezekiel, calling out a group of religious people who were addicted to their old way of life. Sometimes it's not an it. Sometimes it's the way things used to be. The people had brought their old idols with them into a new chapter. Pastor Ezekiel shows up, and this is what he says to them. He said, then I said to them, each of you, get rid of the vile images you're obsessed with. Do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. He's saying, you can't have it both ways. You've got to be willing to give up whatever it is that's mastered you in order to fully love and worship at the feet of Jesus. So we have an opportunity. we got a choice. We can minimize this. We can pretend we don't have a problem. We can just thank God that Grant's preaching to somebody else in the room. He's not preaching to me because I don't have any issues. We can make the decision to, to keep a little G-God on the side, or we can choose Jesus. And I will tell you from firsthand experience, when you choose Jesus, that's the first step to freedom. These people had a choice. You want to hear what their heartbreaking choice was? But they rebelled against me and would not listen. They did not get rid of the vile images they were obsessed with or forsaked the idols of Egypt. When you think about it, addiction is really an issue of worship. It's worship. Ed Welch just lays down the truth. I put this in your outline, thought it was so important. An addiction is a worship disorder. Instead of worshiping the divine king, addicts worship idols that temporarily satisfy a physical, emotional, or a spiritual desire. So it's just like, okay, a lot of numbers, a lot of thoughts, a lot of stuff. What do we do? What do we do? Well, let's start with honor. Let's start with honor. If you're at Christ the King Community Church and you're actively working in recovery to break the chain of addiction, you're my hero. Did somebody say amen? amen? You're my hero because you're doing work that many people don't have the courage to ever take on. The fact that you're actually not in denial makes you a courageous warrior, and I want to thank you for being patient with the rest of us who are just trying to catch up to where you are. We honor you, and I thank you for your example of being willing to wrestle it to the floor, knowing that God is the only one that can help you do that. Now, for the rest of us, 
we're just going to find a place to start today. Like I said, 28 minutes is not long enough to touch a, a deep and complex issue like that. I had such a fear in dealing with this particular topic because I didn't want it to be pursued or to be presumed as a, just do this and don't do that. Here's a series of boxes that you can check. I want you to know, this is not a one-size-fit-all. This is not a, just pray this magic formula and the hunger will go away, even though I've seen that happen. I look around the room right now, I see people in this room who could stand up and say, I did pray and God took the hunger and it just disappeared. So let's not minimize the fact that God can do that, but let's also be real. For some of us, our sobriety starts with three minutes, three hours, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, three decades, and it just keeps going because of God's good grace. But it all starts in one place. If you're going to break free, it has to start here. You have to admit you have a problem. And if that's all that's accomplished today, I'm so thankful. Admit you have a problem. I mean, that's why the Bible says this, therefore confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So this is about being real with God, being real with ourselves, and being real with other people. And I know for a fact, some of you just don't like that. It's like, why can't I keep it between God and I? I'll tell you why. It's because church is a team sport. And if you're willing to admit that you got a problem with it, I'll tell you something. I will stand with you and link shields with you because in my own battle, people did that for me. But it starts with you got to admit you got a problem. Those of you that have done 12 steps in the room, you understand the first one. You got to admit that you're powerless. You can't do this on, on your own. So you need to admit that you got a problem. And then secondly, you got to admit that you can't beat it on your own. You probably tried. You've probably tried and you're not alone with trying to use your human will to try and overcome this addiction that's got a grip inside of your life. The Apostle Paul shared that struggle. That's why I love him so much. I mean, he's, he reminds me, he's like da Danny DeVito with an attitude. That's the Apostle Paul in my brain. And he's so honest, Romans chapter 7 For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You got to admit, I can't do this on my own. I've tried. So then what's the option? What's well, another admission? You have to admit to God that you desperately need His help. And some of you are like, I've done that, Grant. I asked God for His help and it still has me in its grip. Here's what you need to know. This is God's promise to you as you unpack this journey. Because apparently you're not going to get one of those instantaneous deliverances like we all want. It may be that this is a process that you have to surrender this it to God over and over and over and over again. Here's His promise to you. Don't forget it. Isaiah chapter 40. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless. You know what I love about that verse? There's no shame mentioned. There's no judgment mentioned. There's just grace for those who are courageous enough to invite Jesus into that dark corner of your soul and say, God, I've done my best to try and deal with it. I need you to do it for me. Because we're in this together, it's a natural step after the admissions. You got to get help from healthy people. 
can't do it alone. You know, this is why I love Christ the King. I look around this room this morning, you know what I see? A church of formers. We've got former addicts, former alcoholics, former religious addicts, former judgment specialists, former pornography addicts, former Pharisees, former Sadducees. I mean, we got former everything. If you're dysfunctional and you walked in the door today and say, I am not okay, welcome to the dysfunctional family of Christ the King Community Church. We're glad that you're here. You're going to fit right in. Now, it's not okay to stay not okay. And that's why I love these words to each of us in Galatians chapter 6. Pastor Lamb did such a beautiful job of discussing last week and sharing with us that faith actually has to do something. And I'm going to tell you something. When you're working on it, when you get to that place where you can share its role in your life to somebody else who's walking the same journey that you're now walking, that's a part of God's redemptive process in you. You go from being the addict to being a helper, to walking alongside and redeeming your story. In taking your pain and saying, God can actually take that pain and do something beautiful out of it. That's why Galatians 6 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, that's us. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Stop there for a second. If that's how we're supposed to do it with people who don't know Jesus, imagine how much more humbly and how much more gently we're supposed to do it with people who don't know Jesus at all. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So we stand together corporately in this. Even if we don't have an issue, we cheer for those who are courageous enough to tackle it. We stand together corporately and we stand on a foundation individually. That's why I put in your outline, you need to stand firm in your gospel identity. The enemy of my soul says that Grant is a compulsive screw-up and will never get it right. My papa in heaven says I am a dearly loved son of the most high God. I'm not who the devil says I am. I am who Jesus says that I am. And the last time I checked, my spiritual father said I am his son. And he loves me and he's proud of me, and I don't need anyone else's acceptance other than his, and I need not worship at the feet of any other idol other than the God of the creation of heaven and earth, because he alone is worthy. If you didn't believe that, you shouldn't have sang the last song. All the earth will shout your praise. You know, it's possible that you're here today and you're not an addict. You're one of the, the three out of four. Can I encourage you to do something? You need to thank God because that's not you. Maybe you're not an addict, but someone that you love is. And it's painful for you. I actually asked a lady from our church who's walked with a son who's had an active heroin addiction for many, many years to put together a list of resources for me because I have never seen anyone so graciously walk alongside of someone without co being codependent or enabling. She put together a, 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 just a list of resources. If you'd like to access that because someone that you love is caught in the grip of addiction, I'm going to encourage you to go to the reception desk. They're laying out there. If we run out, you can email me and I'll send a copy because it was absolutely fantastic. 
But if you know or suspect someone is an addict, I'd like to just give you two biblical suggestions. Number one, you've got to press in with humility, and you've got to start low. You can't start high. You can't come at this from some type of superior attitude that makes you think you're more important than anybody else. You've got to come in low. I love the fact that Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And give my life as a ransom for many. And I think that humility comes from a position of realizing that at some point in your life, we've all had to deal with something. True? We've all had to deal with something. In fact, listen to the Apostle Paul say this in Titus chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We've got to start humble. We have to come in and say, look, you've got your issue. I've got mine. I love you enough that I'm not going to enable this behavior anymore because I can't watch you destroy your life one more time. So I'm going to learn to have some limits and some boundaries, and I'm going to love you unequivocally. That's not even up for question, but you need to know I'm going to have the hard conversation. Which leads us to that second suggestion, which is to lovingly confront I already read Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read it again because I think it's beautiful. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. But be careful so that you do not fall into temptation yourself, share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If someone you love is caught in the grip, you're not alone. And you don't need to walk alone. As a part of Connect Weekend, we got all kinds of opportunities for you. I think one of the best classes, in fact, I believe that boundaries should be mandatory for every person who's a follower of Jesus. Just saying. But we offer a class called Boundaries with Carolyn Merriman. Thank you, Jesus, for Carolyn in Whatcom County. I tell you what. In boundaries, you learn how to say no so that you can say yes to the best that God has for you. In boundaries, you learn the difference between hurting someone's feelings and harming their soul, and there is a difference. In boundaries, you learn how to love with limits. If you're a guy and you're struggling with it, whatever it is, I want to recommend Stand Firm to you. In a Stand Firm class, you get to come alongside of other guys who are courageous enough to go after their it. Nobody's going to judge you because everybody in the room's been there. And I want to encourage you to be courageous this fall because the promise of freedom is so unbelievably beautiful. So you've, if you've been at Christ the King over the last 18 years, I can't believe 18 years. We're coming up on two decades together, my friends. Crazy. If you've been around, you've heard... You've heard my battles. I have shared them with you over and over again. Those that tipped the line over into addiction, those that, that stayed on the quote-unquote ethical side. I was talking with a pastor last week, and he asked me a question. He goes, Grant, of all the addictions you've had to try and conquer in your life, what's been the most difficult? 
I thought about it for a second. And when I say these words out loud, some of you will be tempted to scoff. Be my guest, you haven't lived my life. My greatest struggle with addiction today is my addiction to people-pleasing. That's my pastoral drug of choice. I obsess over it because there have been times, I will be honest with you, I've chosen your approval over the approval of Jesus. My addiction to people-pleasing has alienated and neglected my family at times. And earlier in my quote-unquote pastoral career, whatever that is, it just about killed me. Dangling on the edge of a breakdown, I was confronted with the love of Jesus. This is where hope came to me because I heard that the Apostle Paul of all people, I mean the greatest missionary of all time, had the same struggle that I did. The book of Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So in the active part of my spiritual recovery, which goes alongside of 30 years of sobriety in another part of recovery in my life, here's what I can tell you. Anytime I've chosen your approval over the approval of Jesus, I was wrong. And for the record, as far as it depends on me, I will continue to preach as best I can, faithful to the Word of God, at the feet of the Jesus who saved my life and has broken the bonds of addiction off of my own soul and allowed me to preach free. And I will say things that are unbelievably unpopular at times and it no longer matters to me because I'm only concerned with the approval of my heavenly father and you should be okay with that because you don't sign my report card anymore. Thank you, God. Every day we battle for sobriety, and if you're not, I'd invite you into that gloriously horrible process of allowing God to become your only it. So we're going to pray, we're going to ask God for the courage to go there, we're going to worship God with our tithes and our offerings, and then we're going to wander out into the commons and say, okay God. What do you have for me this fall? Would you pray with me? God, thanks for an opportunity to be real, transparent, and open. God, I pray for every person in the room who's just about ready to give up because they've tried to conquer it, and it just won't go away, God, and I pray that they would see there's hope in Jesus. He's the great emancipator. He's the great bondage breaker. He's the only one that can break the shackles and set us free. So God, I pray that we would start today with the simple act of admitting we have a problem. And God, may we be convinced we don't need to walk this journey alone. Lord, to my fellow brothers and sisters who are actively walking in recovery, I honor them today as great heroes of the faith. God, would you give them one more day of choosing you? Just one more day. And Lord, anything good that comes out of this, we pray that you would be glorified with it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people say, amen. amen. 
I want to thank you so much for joining us today online. I want to give you an opportunity again to really get connected into community. And so if you're in Whatcom County, we'd love to have you join us at one of our five campuses. If you're not in Whatcom County, we really want to encourage it again to get plugged into a local church. To find out more about Christ the King or to give online or to submit a prayer request, I want to encourage you to go to ctk.church. Once again, thank you for joining us.